The Awaken Project Chapter 2 Memories in Darkness It was never taboo to talk about death in the service. From day one we were told the war would bring nothing but death and that we should be prepared to embrace it. During the final days of the war, my squad would joke about how dying before the treaty was signed would be a horrible twist of fate. One of the young privates did not find the jokes funny. The others just laughed at him, but I found myself thinking about how he must felt. Seven days later, it was I holding him in my arms feeling the warmth of his blood running through my fingers. Nobody was laughing then. No one else was there. Our convoy was attacked on its way back to base. I only survived because I was sitting behind our hover seeker. Its reinforced armor protected me. Davis was not so lucky. Even as I dragged his body from the wreckage, I knew he would not make it, but I would have never left him there. His eyes stared up to me with a question. As he began to speak, I wanted to tell him to be quiet, to save his strength. However, I knew whatever he was about to say was most likely to be his last words. I strained to listen. He spoke softly with a gurgle. At first I believed he was going to ask me to deliver a message to his family, but what he asked should not have surprised me. He wanted to know what death was like. Perhaps he believed because of my time in the field I had some insight. I had nothing to tell him. I had seen death hundreds of times even in my short tour. But any answer I could give him would serve no purpose. So I lied to him. I told him you would feel cold at first, but then slowly feel warmth wash over you. He tried to smile, pleased with my words, so I continued. I told him from the darkness you would see a white light, but it would not be blinding. The light would be soft and would guide him home to all the loved ones he had lost. I didn't believe any of it. As I laid there with my eyes closed, I could feel the coldness of the ground beneath me. Time seemed to freeze and my thoughts of Clara stopped as I wondered what had happened. My first question to myself was, did the explosives fail? Even so, if I thought that was the case, then the enemy's blast would have finished me. I did not want to open my eyes. I did not want to give it the satisfaction of looking at them. There was something abnormal. Though I could feel the ground, I could not smell the charred remains of the city around me. I could not wait any longer. I slowly inched my eyes open, expecting to see it hovering over me, waiting. What I opened my eyes to was nothing, complete darkness. It was then that I realized the coldness surrounding me had faded. The pain from the explosion was wiped from my body. And though I could still feel my presence, I could feel nothing else. I wondered, was I dead or perhaps in a coma? The military provided a wide variety of religious outlets for its servicemen. I never truly believed in any specific religion but I was not foolish enough to dismiss it as fantasy. Many of the men and women in my unit believed in the Trinity. 
The Trinity believed there was a link between God, man, and animal through his life energy that flowed through all living things. My scout, Lewis, spoke to me at length about it. He believed that everything we were existed with this life energy, or what some would call a soul. I remember him telling me that it could never be destroyed and would pass on to the afterlife to be rejoined with what they called the Creator. I would listen to his stories, his tales, because that's what you did when someone you respected spoke to you. While I did not push his words away fully, I did not give it much thought either. Believing in an afterlife when the chances you were going to die were high was almost par for the course in the military. Even when the meteor was destroyed, I didn't turn towards God for help. Then again, I didn't turn towards the scientists either. The only time I considered the possibility of an afterlife was after Clara died. I had to believe. To think that her light was extinguished to never shine again would be too much to bear. I fought to avenge her, and a part of me hoped I would see her again. As I sat up, I almost expected to awaken to discover this was all a dream. I also thought of the possibility that I was captured by the enemy, but there was no evidence that the enemy ever took any prisoners. There was no way to tell where I was. There was no light anywhere. In fact, I could not feel the air and yet I could breathe normally. It was a kind of darkness you would experience in your nightmares. It was thick, yet had no specific texture or feeling to it. The darkness surrounded me, and it felt as if it was closing in around me. My thoughts were all I had, and once again they turned to death and the possibility of an afterlife. It was my grandfather that told me at the moment of your death was the time your life came under review. He said it was a time to look back on your life and see what you have accomplished and what was left undone. I wonder if that was what I was experiencing. Was I to reflect on my life, and if so, to what purpose? I remember I told Davis that you would see your loved ones when you died. A self-evaluating man would say that I had said that because I hoped it was true. Standing there in the darkness, if I was to reflect, it would only be on Clara. After thinking about her daily, seeing her face whenever I closed my eyes, I thought back on a time when I was too timid to ask her to marry me. On the battlefield, I took charge and kept my fear in check, but when it came time to expressing my feelings for the woman I loved, I was left speechless. With every fiber of my being, I wanted to propose to her, to let her know I wanted to be with her forever. A part of me almost turned and ran away. I could not have imagined my life without her, and I almost didn't. Finally, after far too much procrastinating, I gathered the courage to ask for her hand. As my thoughts about Clara continued, the darkness surrounding me began to fade. Slowly, as if coming out of a coma, I could hear the distant sounds of people talking. At first I believed I was awakening from whatever had happened to me, but as the darkness faded further and the voices became clearer, I soon recognized where I was. It was not just the sounds that were familiar. 
I could smell it. The distinct smell of food permeated from all around me. I did not dare to rub my eyes even as impossible as the image before me seemed. There, from total darkness, a world from my past was coming into view. Third City in New Chicago was Clara's favorite restaurant. It was a single circular room, 50 feet in the air, overlooking Lake Daly. Every table had a window view, and the entire room rotated so you would have a panoramic view of the city. It was in that restaurant that I asked Clara to marry me. Watching a place from my past appear before me should have raised every red flag I had. My thoughts had just been on proposing to Clara, and a restaurant long destroyed appeared before my eyes. It should have bothered me, but it did not. I was happy to see it because I knew I would see her. The small circular wooden tables had the same black silk tablecloth on them. I could see them clearly now. I was standing just outside the elevator in the center of the restaurant. It did not feel like a dream. I was really there. I could make out the conversations of the people in the packed restaurant. Even the warmth from the nearby candles was felt on my skin. If I was truly creating everything before me, then I was a master at my craft. The mistrusting and questioning side of me was pushed away. I had accepted the place I was in, and with the sound of classical music coming from the piano, I realized when I was as well. I took three steps across the crimson colored carpet, and there it was. The scent parted the air, clearing away all others. It was the smell of her perfume. Dead or dreaming, my heart began to race as I began to feel goosebumps spring up across my skin. The beautiful fragrance, it led me to her, toward the table where she sat that night. Standing near a large column, I prepared myself. I felt nervous like a young man on his first date. No, it was deeper than that. It was exactly how I felt the night I carried that velvet-covered box in my left pant pocket. I peeked around the column. I wanted to catch a glimpse of her before she saw me. With only a glance into her ocean blue eyes, the pain of losing her was being washed away. Part of me just wanted to stand there and watch her sip from her glass of water, waiting for the other me to arrive. Clara wore the red dress that I bought her on our one-month anniversary. She would wear it only on special occasions, or just to set my heart on fire. The shoulderless dress showed off her hourglass figure and satin white skin. I could see she was thinking of me, wondering why I asked her there. Running the tips of her fingers across the rim of her glass was her tell. Watching her press her lips to the glass when she took a drink sent a flash of warmth through my body. In an instant, I was thrown back to when I truly loved someone and was truly loved. It did not matter if these events had already played out. I was willing to repeat them again and again until the end of time. I did not want to wait anymore. I was ready to approach her when a thought occurred to me. I reached down towards my left pant pocket and realized I was still dressed in my uniform.
There was no velvet-covered box. Nothing that I had that day. A wave of panic came over me. The world before me felt so real. And yet, me, the person in that world, was from a different time. I could not understand why. Why would I be placed at that place, at that time, but not as me? Clara lifted her head from the table and stared toward me. My body froze. I was unsure what to do next. It may have been obvious, but it was one thing to approach Clara as my past self, to relive what I already knew. What I was faced with was explaining my presence at that moment. I did not know what to say to her. I wonder if, if I should tell her the truth, would she believe me, or become angered thinking it was a prank. There was no time to continue thinking. I stepped out from behind the column. Clara smiled, her bright eyes welcoming me to her. I felt relieved as I opened my mouth to speak to her when everything went black for a moment, throwing me off balance. I staggered backwards to see someone in front of me walking towards Clara. A strange sensation flowed through my body, and at the time I didn't understand what it was. I refocused my eyes on Clara. The man leaned over, kissing her on the lips. A rage came over me as I watched this man with Clara. As he sat down, I saw his hand reach down to his left pant pocket, then go inside. It hit me like a truck. In that instance, I realized who the man was. It was me. You love to keep me waiting, don't you? Clara said to what I now knew was the younger me. So you call me and tell me to dress up and come out here just to tell me, what did you buy? My feelings switched as I listened to her speak to him. It made me realize that I must have been reliving that day, but only as an observer. It was clear that I had no true presence there. As far as everyone was concerned, I did not exist. The David sitting at the table with Clara was a recording from my past, a memory in darkness. I could not alter it. I could only watch. That did not settle well with me. I was willing to relive that moment as a participant. However, to watch it unfold like a fly on the wall was not what I was hoping for. What makes you think that I bought something? Oh yes, I remember. The last time we came, it was because of that gadget I bought. Listening to one's words is like reading one's writing. It just never sounds right to you. All I wanted to do was grab hold of Clara and never let her go. But even without trying, I knew it was not possible. It shamed me a little to feel the way I did at that time. There I was standing before the woman I loved and watching one of the most happiest moments of my life. But since I was only watching, the moment felt diminished. Considering all the death and destruction I had been surrounded by, it should have been paradise. However, to me, at that moment, it was nothing more than a sad memory. I could do nothing but wonder what would happen next. Not what my younger self would do, but what would become of me. What would happen with the David I was watching would unfold the same way it did that night. I danced around the subject of my purchase. She was correct that I began to use our restaurant as a way to soothe over rough patches in our relationship. Love is not perfect, 
and ours had issues, but in the end it made us stronger and brought us closer together. Is that what you call it? Clara said sarcastically. That stupid hologram history pad you spent a week's pay on and it never worked right? And when it did, it was totally useless. Okay, okay. It didn't work all the time, you're right. But when it did, it was pretty awesome. Being able to relive our history with three-dimensional holograms? <laughs> I still say it was a great buy and not stupid. It was completely stupid. Listening to those words come out of my mouth almost caused me to laugh. I did some foolish things back then, and yet Clara took them in stride. I was more nervous than anything. Part of me was afraid that she would say no, and the other half was afraid of hearing her say yes. Clara just smiled and shook her head. She was preparing herself for me to give her some story about something I purchased. I knew exactly what was coming next, of course, and watched my younger self take a long drink from his glass and then look into her eyes. I had thought about what I would say for weeks and had originally planned to tell her after dinner but I just couldn't wait any longer. Clara. During the war, many of the soldiers would speak to me about their wives or girlfriends. When everything went wrong, they said that they would pull through because of the thought of going home to them. I remember my sergeant asking me what I had to go home to. I never answered him. I knew I had nothing. No family, no real friends. I only fought to survive because to me, death would be failure. I had nothing else. There were others like me who when the war ended went home to empty houses. They had a nickname for us even, Hollows. I was ready to accept that I would spend my life alone. Things were different after the war and my continued service was all I thought that I had to look forward to. That was until that day in Union Hall. Union Hall was not just the place where the treaty was signed. After the fighting stopped, there was still much negotiating to do. Bringing the world together was a daunting task. And the only thing the factions could agree upon was the meeting location. I could have taken leave before being assigned to Naxum Research, but there was no reason for me to do so. Taking a guard position to most combat soldiers would be degrading. I found it peaceful and interesting at the same time. I learned a lot about the peace pro process and heard a lot more conversations than I should have. It was several weeks of watching the same people come and go. We were a large team tasked with protecting the dignitaries. There were plenty of chances for social interaction, but I stayed focused on my job. That was why that day when she approached me, it caught me completely off guard. I didn't even see you when you approached me. I watched myself continuing to retell the story, reliving it with every word. Out of all the guards on duty, I never understood why you chose me. Why you offered me a cup of water that day. I, I, I could only wonder why. You looked thirsty. Clara responded in jest with a beautiful smile across her face. What I did not tell Clara until months later was that I had seen her before. 
I could not lie and say that I thought about her every day, but when I saw her arrive every morning carrying her stack of papers looking so determined, I could not help but smile. I never thought about approaching her. Perhaps I was scared, but I told myself it would not be professional. When she approached me, I wondered if she was aware when I would look at her. Honestly, it did not matter. I was glad she made the first move. When you handed me that water and I touched your hand, I thought to myself, you better not let this one walk away. There was a kindness about you that made me feel at ease. You had a look about you, Clara said, reaching across the table, touching the top of his hand. I was actually jealous of myself, wishing I could feel her touch again. Most of the other soldiers looked, well, they looked hardened. You? <laughs> well, you looked lost. I was lost and the nickname Hollow did fit me to a T. All I had was my duty, and though I did not wish to be back in the war, the time just standing there watching people go by allowed far too much time to reflect on the life I was not happy with. I had nothing when Clara approached me. I knew she would be the one that would fill the void in my life. You gave me everything, Clara. And I know at times I have not been there for you. When you spend your life expecting to be alone, it is hard to accept that you are truly in love. I almost took the water from you that day and walked away, but I knew if I did that, I would regret it for the rest of my life. I didn't believe in concepts such as love at first sight. I don't know what to tell you. It was like we had to be together and there was no other option. She briefly closed her eyes. Her cheeks became redder as she pressed her lips tighter together, pushing out a smile. She was on the brink of tears. I could have closed my eyes and seen that scene play out over and over till the end of time. But I wanted to watch it in that moment. Taking the velvet-covered box from his pocket, I remember my hands shaking even though by the time I had stood from the table, I had forced myself calm. I watched him drop to his knees. I found myself copying his actions. Clara's eyes widened as tears began to stream from them. I wanted to say, Clara, I'm sorry. Sorry for being so closed in with my feelings. Sorry for taking so long to tell you I love you. Sorry for every time I couldn't make you smile. You have given me so much, and all I can give you in return is my heart. I had never spoken words like that to anyone. Those words I did not rehearse. They came from a place I knew little about, but they were real, and Clara knew that. As she opened the box, the room became silent. People from the other tables took notice. Back then, as far as I was concerned, it was just her and I, alone in that moment. Everything had come to that moment, and I wanted to make it one to remember. Clara, after being around so much pain, so much death, you have given me a peace I thought I could never find. The feeling of true love that I did not believe I would ever know, and a partner I promise I will never leave behind. I am already forever yours. Will you marry me?
and be forever mine. Clara was the outspoken one, while I was quiet. She would be open with her emotions, while I would keep mine locked away. That night, she was struck speechless. Almost falling out of her seat, she wrapped her arms around me. Even watching the moment, I could feel the warmth from her touch. Her kiss was like no other that night. It felt like we were frozen in that moment. Breaking the silence, she whispered in my ear the word that changed my life forever. Yes. I found myself crying. I had not shed a tear since the day the meteor fell. I lowered my head. Then I began to notice everything around me was darkening. In a panic, I began looking around, watching reality slowly fade into darkness. I screamed out Clara's name, reaching out to her, but my hand passed right through her. It was just as I feared. I was nothing more than a ghost witnessing my past. That chapter had come to an end, and the darkness was the curtain fall. There was nothing I could do but stand there and embrace my return to darkness. Surrounded once again in black, I was not even allowed to grieve the loss of my happiest memory. The darkness brought with it a chill that coursed through my body. I felt as if I was dying. I pondered if that memory was my gateway leading me to the afterlife. I asked myself if it was a dream to prepare me for what would come next. But what I wanted to know was what dream would come. Would I be allowed to experience more pleasure? Or was pain all that remained for me? A bright spear of light in the distance was the beginning of my answer. I could not move. All I could do was watch as it expanded out towards me. I felt like a deer caught in the headlights, except the closer the lights came towards me, the calmer I felt. The light washed away the darkness, my fear, and bathed me in its warmth. Soon the light had completely surrounded me. It began as a soft white, then slowly began to brighten until it blinded me. I felt the sensation come over me. It freed me, allowing me to walk forward. No, it coaxed me forward, like a shepherd, leading its stray sheep back to the flock. As I walked forward, I could smell something. It was faint at first, but as I continued forward, it became clear. It was freshly cut grass, and the warmth surrounding me became familiar as well. It was from the sun. I could only think that I was entering heaven, and then in the distance, I saw my angel. She was shimmering white, and though I could not make out her face, I could feel it was her. I had stepped through the gate into paradise and had been rewarded with the only person I wanted to see. Clara! I gasped out, afraid I could be wrong, but praying I was right. Yes, David, Clara said, reaching out to me. I've been waiting for you. Take my hand. You're home now. Next week, The Awaken Project continues with Chapter 3.